Hi there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy and host of the Live Healthy podcast. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Yasser Abdel Qadr, director of the Oncology Department Research Unit for the Faculty of Medicine at Cairo University. He has a significant role in the evolution of research programs and the development of clinical trials. We are taking the opportunity of Lung Cancer Awareness Month to speak all about the cutting edge of cancer prevention, diagnosis, and treatment, something called precision medicine. How are you? How do you do, Anne-Marie? I'm fine. And you? Very, very good. You're coming to us from Cairo. I see you virtually, unfortunately, virtually. Virtually, yes. <laughs> well, so much of the world is that. So let's just get started with a broad question because I really want to know what exactly is precision medicine and how does it work? Precision medicine is some sort of personalized medicine. Let us say if you have 10 patients with lung cancers, so the, the, the patient will receive the same clinical diagnosis, stage four, 10 patients. And definitely some will take the drug X and some will take the drug Y, some will take the drug the Z. So it is some sort of personalized medicine. You have to be very, very accurate in not the clinical diagnosis, but the molecular diagnosis for our patients with lung cancer. Definitely the nanosmall is preferable last than the small cell in cancer. But we, we are moving now globally and in our region or our country to the precision medicine or personalized medicine. And because of this approach globally and in Egypt, the mortality from cancer is starting to decline. Why? Because of the introduction of new or the discovery of new derogable targets. We have plenty of targets, more than one, three, four, five, six targets in the nanosmooth-selling variety and you have more and more six and seven drugs. So the mortality will decline, not because of immunotherapy, but the discovery of new agents or of the evolution of the precision medicine, as you have said, precision medicine. Okay, so it's very effective. Now, it targets our genes and proteins, I guess, that those are the things that make, you know, those are the things that differentiate. Yes, we we are looking for the driver mutation, okay? If you have a patient with non-small cell lung cancer with PDL1 or a biomarker that predicts his response to immunotherapy, we don't go directly to immunotherapy except after fulfilling the full genomic profiling of this patient because this patient may be uh, PDL1 positive. Theoretically speaking, he will respond to immunotherapy, but clinically, no, because he has another driver mutation, has many driver mutation, and he will respond to the targets and not to the immunotherapy. So you have to be very cautious and very precision, very precise in our uh, treatment decision. Just so, so it's clear, if I have lung cancer and my friend has lung cancer and everyone's saying immunotherapy is the best treatment, you say, yes. no, no, we have to go and look at what mutations you have and make yes. sure that, because it might work great for me, but not for my friend. Yes. Okay. You, if you have two patients and the two patients are diagnosed clinically as a stage four lung cancer, one and both of them have a high PDL1 expression, 90% or so clinically and theoretically speaking, they will respond to chemotherapy. But after fulfilling, as I have said, the complete genomic profiling, because I, if, I, if I have a patient with ALK 
positivity or arc translocation positivity and EGFO and PDL1, he will not respond to immunotherapy, he will respond to oral TKI better definitely than chemotherapy. So you have to select your patient in a very thorough way to give him the best chance for, I mean, in stage four, the best chance for uh, long-term control and even uh, cure. What are the treatments for lung cancer? What, what treatment of? For lung cancer, what are the treatments currently that are being used? Currently available, we have, uh, now we are, because of the era of uh, the COVID-19, we are doing plenty of CTs, regular CT scans of the chest because not of early detection, but because of the uh, COVID itself. So we are discovering, are seeing more and more disease in the early stage. Coming back to your question, particularly our patient in according to their staging into early and late. Early stage one and two are treated successfully with uh, surgery. Plus minus recently introduced is oral TKI or EGFR in EGFR mutant patient who can give uh, adjuvant oral TKI. This is surgery. We are doing our best to move towards the immunotherapy. Radiotherapy is still a modest role in the treatment of non-smooth cell cancer, very modest role. And now we are moving towards the immunotherapy. And don't forget, we have plenty of target therapy. We have oral drugs for specific mutations like MET, RET, BRAP, and so on. So we have, we have plenty of drugs, immunotherapy, target therapy, and uh, surgery for early resectable cases. And recently approved is immunotherapy, not only in the metastatic or local advanced cases, but in the early setting after surgery, so what, what was breaking news for me and for the world is the introduction of immunotherapy in the early stage of non-small cell lung cancer, stage one and two. Okay, so you're seeing, because of COVID, this is a good thing that's happened from COVID, yes. you're seeing more cancer. The only, the only good thing, the only good thing. <laughs> that you are picking up an early non-small cell lung cancer. Because lung cancer doesn't, um, it doesn't present symptoms until it's quite advanced. Is that well, the Because if you look at the data we had before even COVID, the data is 69, exactly 69% of the patients that presented with local advanced and metastatic non-smooth cell lung cancer. And we're only dealing with 30% or even less after the COVID and after the routine, frequent routine CT scan chest, you are... Uh, moving toward the discovery or the presentation of early non-smooth cell lung cancer, which is a very promising event that happens to me as, as oncologists. Okay, that's exciting. Um, how about when you're looking at the actual tumors? Like, how does that determine how you treat um, treat the lung cancer? I mean, if it's, if it's, I don't know, if it's like one tumor or several, like how does that determine how you treat it? Test and we have an actual mutation or mutation that is a sensitive mutation or driver mutation, and we treat accordingly. Now we have drugs for the definitely, you know, the EGFR, ALK, uh, ALK positivity or being the driver mutation. We have drug in the first slide setting, I mean, first slide setting <coughs> for the MET for thin exon alteration. We have for the RET, we have for the BRF, and recently introduced, though extremely rare, the NTRK1, 2, and 3, but plenty of drugs in the first line setting. And usually we, we, we tell our, our colleagues and our, don't touch your patient, never, with immunotherapy except after fulfilling his complete genomic profiling because you may do harm to your patient and not to do the best. So we have drugs, we have uh, the genomic profiling, at least we are, we are moving towards the 
the NGS. We have an NGS in Egypt, and we are planning for a very huge program uh, through the government and through the uh, Ministry of Health to do uh, early detection and lung screening program among our patients, identifying the high risk population to do a COVID-like anyway approach to do frequent, not frequent, regular CT in high risk population. And we have the NGS, next generation sequencing, to uh, broaden our molecular profile or the molecular profile of our patient reaching, as you have said uh, at the start, uh, reaching the idea of or the standard of care, which is precision medicine. Is this um, complete precision testing, this genomic profiling, is that being done for all patients now? Yes, for all patients with non-small uh, non cell cancer, and because of the small cell cancer, usually we rarely find uh, driving mutations. So we are doing this in uh, all patients or all our patients with non-small cell cancer, especially the non-squamous histology, moving toward the, the complete genomic profiling through the, the tests of the, or the NGS, next generation sequencing, uh, to cover all the driver mutation and to go accordingly to the treatment. And recently, uh, immunotherapy has been introduced our, in our regional or national protocols to give uh, immunotherapy, not for all patients in the, this, it did the step A or step number one to introduce immunotherapy in high, in on subset of patient or PDL1 selected population or the high expressive patient. This is the first time to introduce in a national level immunotherapy. But now we are doing uh, for all our patients the complete genomic profiling. Okay. And is this, you know, this is in the in the MENA region. Is this also something that um, people would find? Yes, most most of the Middle East region or North Africa. I, I doubt about North Africa, but I think that in the in other area of the world or the mid of Arab world who are doing this. And is it only but actually? If Wait. you allow me, please. But because actually, if you are treating a patient without complete genomic profiling, you are uh, you are depriving your patient from the chance of being controlled or well controlled. You are depriving your patient from being cured, uh, and it is from the cost effective or the from the financial point of view, it is more costly to start by an empirically by one drug than to go to the second, the third, and fourth. And you have the chance to do the test and go upfront from uh, with the ideal treatment. So it is even less expensive and definitely uh, more scientific and more beneficial to our patients. Okay, so even though the testing may be expensive, it's actually cheaper in the long run because you don't use the wrong therapy and the wrong drug before you- Yes, yes. And at least, at least, at least, if you do the test properly, you can select your patient. Take an example, if you are dealing with a patient having high expression of PDL1, let us say, Theoretically, we respond to immunotherapy, but according to the data we have and according to the broadened molecular profiling, if you got an if you got a, a, a mutation, you can here predict that the response to immunotherapy will be very poor, and then to go to immunotherapy. At least, if you have no you you, you haven't the drug, you can deprive your patient from a suboptimal treatment. I mean, okay, is this is this um there is this looking at genes and figuring this out, is that for all kinds of cancer outside of the lungs? Well, most of the prevalent cancer, because now we are moving toward the genomic profiling, even in pancreatic endocarcinoma, which is, was very rare to be introduced with the standard of KLC2, BRCA1 and BRCA2, and you have oral drug for metastatic adenocarcinoma. 
is a standard of care in ovary. We have the test to do the BRCA1 and BRCA2. And in the breast, we, we are doing the immune profile of our patient with uh, prostate cancer, with ovarian cancer. So the, the, the role of personalized medicine has been expanded. But look at the most prevalent tumor among the, the world is lung cancer, breast cancer, we can do it. And even it has been extended to the rare or to the like areatic or GIT cancer. So it is it is moving forward definitely. And definitely by the end of the, in the year 2022, uh, every treatment or every uh, tumor subtype will be treated according to his genomic profiling and not, to, uh, not according to his histology or even clinical stage. Wow, so you even said pancreatic and GI cancer. Pancreatic, yes, pancreatic has been approved or in the guidelines, don't forget to do your patient with metastatic adenocarcinoma, BRCA1 and BRCA2 germ mutation because we have drugs that can, they may control the patient's symptoms and the patient disease. And as you know, pancreatic adenocarcinoma is not a friendly disease and it is most of the time resistant to chemotherapy and we have no place for radiotherapy for the time being. So if we find a way to control this is very uh, hopeful or it's very striking and exciting in this subset of patients with pancreatic adenocarcinoma. Very. How, how is this is just veering off a little bit, but how how is the, um, you know, the, the campaign to end smoking, which is admittedly quite behind in the Middle East and Egypt from other parts of the world? Look, look, let us be frank. The anti-smoking campaign has not been in our region very successful. And I can say that the rate of smoking has not been declining. The electric, the electronic cigarettes and so on. But to say that the anti-smoking campaign is a successful approach, I don't think so because the rate of smoking is still present. There is definitely a shift from the oral uh, traditional cigarette to the uh, electronic, uh, anyway, but still we are, we are facing this problem. And don't forget that the, the, the campaign should not only include anti-smoking campaign or to stop smoking or to quit smoking, but we have to, to look at the most prevalent risk factors or predisposing factor to lung cancer. It is not only smoking, don't forget the air pollution, don't forget the uh, exposure to asbestos, and, and many factors, but the top uh, two are uh, smoking and number two is uh, air pollution. So we have to look at these two factors in a very thorough way. How concerned are you about vaping? We hear a lot about vaping's impact on the lungs. How about in lung cancer? Because a lot of people go to vaping thinking it's better than smoking. Usually, usually we advise to stop any smoking, whatever the material is or whatever the approval or the technicalities of the smoking. Even the shisha we have in our region, the Middle East region, we have the nargila or the shisha. It is becoming a very common habit, even among our female ladies. So we usually we we advise our patients to stop smoking. Though the data, though the data, unfortunately, the data of immunotherapy are very promising in smokers compared to non-smokers. It's not an invitation for the patient to do or to continue smoking. Definitely, but we are moving forward to stop any some any sort of smoking even among the, the, the young population. Okay. You know, people who are diehard smokers will say, oh, I know my uncle lived until he was 95 and he smoked every day. Like it's still, what do you have to say it's to smokers who are? Yes, I have to say that it's, it is a statement, a statement that lung cancer can affect any person, okay? 
any male or any female, any smoker or non-smoker, but the risk ratio is higher among you, is higher and not zero, is higher. So who will not smoke he will be a candidate of lung cancer, so the risk is very small. The incidence is very small among uh, non-smokers. But if you look at the data of non-smoke cell lung cancer, 85% of the patients have a history of smoking and the 15% are none or never smokers. So lung cancer can affect the smokers and non-smokers. And again, this is not definitely an invitation or a promotion to continue or smoking. You have to stop smoking to minimize the risk at least. At least. We have patients now in their 20s and 30s, and especially females and non-smokers and having an annual carcinoma lung. So, but the highest percentage of our patients are definitely smokers. Okay. And when you are diagnosed with cancer and you have this kind of testing, how long does it take and what is involved in the testing? The testing, uh, the, the turnout time is uh, 14 days. 14 days, yes. Okay. And what is involved? So are, how do they do it? I think the 14 days is, 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 is not a short time for waiting to, uh, to start treatment for patients with adenocarcinoma. So you can, you can uh, at least you have to wait. You can start. You can start by local irradiation if there is brain ear symptoms or brain metastasis. You can look by local irradiation if there is bone metastasis. But I have to wait. I have to wait, and I have to start my patient after fulfilling the full data of the comprehensive genomic profile. Okay, so that's a tough 14 days because yes, yes, yes. To get that diagnosis, you want to just start treating it like tomorrow. And if people are thinking their cancer is growing, but you're saying it's absolutely fundamental to figure it out before you go. Why? We, got, we have data. Take an example on a clinical background or clinical ground. If you have a patient with high PDL, so you started immunotherapy, definitely will respond. And then we are within the 14 days or after the day 15, I got the result of being ALK or EGFR mutant. So we have to, if you stop and go to the exact, the perfect, the ideal drug, you are reducing harm to your patient because you start an oral drug after starting immunotherapy. Technically, based on single biomarker, you are doing harm and you'll induce severe life-threatening immune-related adverse events when you shift. So we have to wait. Okay. And well, how many mutations are we talking about? How many mutations can there be when it comes to this lung cancer treatment? Lung cancer, uh, more than 50% or, or let us say 45% of the patients have driver mutation. Driver mutation? 5%, yes. We have plenty of mutations, plenty of drugs. And look at the guidelines. Now we, now we cannot touch our patient except after putting seven mutations and then to go to systemic treatment, whether immune or chemotherapy or even first line targeted therapy. And with the um, rise of immunotherapy, how has radiation and chemotherapy changed when it comes to lung cancer treatment? Radiation and chemotherapy? Yes. Radiation, radiation at a time was a standard of care for patients resected and they got positive lymph node or M2 disease in the medias time. So what? But there is controversy up to this moment because it is not adding to the survival of our patients. Apart from, this, apart from this, radiotherapy has got a, a palliative role in the alleviation of pain from bone metastasis in the treatment of intracranial metastasis and so on, palliative role. So we have a radical uh, or prophylactic. Palliative role, okay. And chemotherapy? 
Chemotherapy now is, is still the standard of care in sub-selected population, whether alone or whether with immunotherapy. So it, 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 it is definitely, let us be fair and scientific, it is some sort of decline to, to the back, to go backwards. And, and now because of the, 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 the plenty of data we got with immunotherapy, with chemotherapy or immunotherapy, with immunotherapy, double immunotherapy, or cancer-free or chemotherapy-free protocols. I think you are moving forward to omit the chemotherapy from the uh, uh, treatment algorithm or the treatment landscape of lung cancer in the nearby future, I think. Do you see that in other forms of cancer that eventually we might not use chemotherapy at all? Yes, like yes, sure, sure. in a place sure. where the, keep the toxic sure. chemotherapy will be that's sure. We are seeing many patients with high expression and negative biomarker, okay? And candidates for immunotherapy are, they have been treated with immunotherapy, alone, no chemotherapy whatsoever, and maintained even for years on immunotherapy. I think the, the main barrier of immunotherapy, at least in our region, is the, is the cost. It is not, uh, it's friendly drug, but a very costly and you are giving your patient not six cycles, you are giving your patient one or even more than one or two years. So you have to be uh, yeah, uh, aware of this. Is this something that um, insurance companies all cover or is it? Yes, not all patients, not all patients, some of the, of, of the patients. What I'm happy with is the introduction of immunotherapy starts as I have said in our national protocol, the patient is a full candidate for immunotherapy as first line. He will go with immunotherapy uh, indefinitely, but not for all patients. For the high express, the very, the very, very, very eligible, and not as the subsequent therapy or second or third line. Definitely for the time being, at least. Where do you see this treatment going? Where would you like to see it going? And in your research, what do you see? I think the early detection will uh, will start. I I hope after the end of this COVID screening. If you pick up a patient with early non-smooth cell lung cancer or early lung cancer, you can give a cure exceeding 90% or you can give a cure. Because if you look at the median survival of lung cancer as uh, in, our, uh, in our films or Arabic films, it is six months and then the patient will pass. It is not a, the truth. It is advanced case. So the, the hope is to move toward a proper, well-designed, program of lung screening, of early detection, early treatment in the early cases. And even in the late case, you have to broaden your molecular profile. You have many and many draggable targets that will act definitely better than chemotherapy and even better than immunotherapy. Okay, so you'd like to see people screened, what, on an annual basis? On, you have to identify what is meant by patient at high risk. Okay. The male, number one, the females, history of smoking, the age is important to start according to the data we have from UK, from Canada, from USA, you can start your uh, screening program at the age of 45 or even 50 to 70. Okay, the age is important, the history of smoking is important, the geographical area is important, and the frequency, what, what, what is debatable in the frequency, if, if free to do it every two years, or every one year or every three years, but we have to identify the patient at risk or at higher risk than to go 
to do a low dose helical CT scan. It will improve our results and it will improve pickup and it will pick up cases of, uh, it is COVID-like or the COVID has, has proposed a screen-like program. So we have to do the screening without COVID. Okay, so basically you'd go to your doctor and they'd say, have you ever smoked? How long did you smoke for? If I'm 45 or 50, then they'd say, okay, I think you should be screened for lung cancer. Where now they're just sort yes, of- the duration, the duration is important, but usually if you stop smoking, according to the level two recommendation, you have to stop smoking at the age of 50 and 55 because the incidence of or the risk starts to decline 16 years after uh, smoking cessation. So the idea is, uh, if you, for the population, if you want to be far from lung cancer based on the smoking history, you have to stop smoking at the age of 50 and not 60 because of the life expectancy will not allow you to anyway. <laughs> that doesn't mean you should smoke till you're 50 though. Yeah. <laughs> <That doesn't> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and let's not forget, <laughs> it's not just lung cancer, right? Like smoking, it raises your risk. Yes, yeah, sure. It covers the spectrum wide spectrum of cancers. Don't forget the bladder cancer anyway, and had a neck definitive oral cavity, the larynx, oropharynx. Okay. Can you just tell, I, I've heard you say non-small, two kinds of lung cancer, regular lung cancer and non-small. Yes, yes. Now the internationally we are dealing with 70, uh, 87% non-small cell lung cancer and 13% small cell lung cancer, which is a variety which I don't uh, prefer. I hate it because the, usually the prognosis is not that good. The small cell lung cancer. And 90% of the patient with a small cell, 99% of the patient with a small, this bad histology are smokers. Oppo 99 opposed to 85 of the non-small cell lung cancer. So it definitely, it will be extremely, extremely rare to find a small cell lung cancer in a subset of patient with no history of smoking. And this small, small cell, yeah. the small small lung cancer is more is more difficult to treat. Yes, this is more aggressive, more aggressive. And look at the data of the FDA approval for the treatment of this uh, subset of patients in 40 years. Uh, since 40 years exactly, stopped any approval of the drug except in the 20, uh, 2020. Immunotherapy has been introduced through two important drugs in the treatment of non-small cell cancer, giving a modest improvement in the overall survival but definitely after a long period of pause okay. of nothing to do, uh, add. <clears throat> okay, now you sound hopeful. You sound very hopeful about where this is going. What, what things do you think could threaten sort of the improvement of screening and catching and treating? Yes, don't forget that because of many, many, many reasons. We started in the 70s by best support of care. I mean, we locally advanced because the, the, the early cases are usually perfect, okay? If you look at the data in the 70s, six to nine months median overall survival, and now we have three, four, and five years. Very odd, uh, well, it was very impressive, at least this year, at least this year to find 40% of the patients, or uh, yes, 40% of the patients with metastatic and small cell cancer are surviving at five years. Which is very good. We are moving forward, definitely, definitely moving forward. And the mortality, mortality has been decreased, though the incidence, though the incidence is not declining. Okay, again, because that, that there was no uh, a perfect success or per, perfect movement toward the smoke cessation. Okay, not only in Egypt but among the old world. 
And as a doctor, what have you, if, when you get that diagnosis, the one that everyone dreads getting, you know, you have, you have a stage three or four cancer, what would you say is the most important thing to do? Cause people are going to want to freak out and they're confused and they can't think and everyone around them from your medical perspective, like what do you see people do wrong and what would you like them to change? The wrong is to omit some important imaging system. This is number one. Most of our doctors, they omit the though stage four, they omit the whole brain or other, I mean brain uh, MRI. Oh. You have to assess your patient thoroughly and don't rely upon the PET scan only for assessment of brain deposit. So we have to do MRI, MRI brain. You have to do a, a PET scan to know how far the disease extent is and then to do the molecular profiling and start your treatment. But you have to go to broaden, not only molecular profiling, broadening uh, staging workup or mapping of your uh, patient's uh, disease. Okay, so you're saying definitely you would make sure to have an MRI to make yes. to get a complete picture of the brain. A PET scan is not enough. And what was the other thing you said? PET scan, uh, uh, MRI, uh, and then uh, genomic profiling test. Tissue diagnosis is very important. And uh, usually the problem in our region is the tissue. The tissue is always the issue because if you if you have a small, very small piece of tissue, you cannot cover all these seven uh, mutations or tests anyway. And the NGS will solve the problem in the nearby future. Okay. So we have to map your patient uh, correctly. Uh, map by imaging and mapping by genomic profiling and you start accordingly. And do you ever think that people's attitude has anything to do with their prognosis? You? At their yeah. attitude, their outlook, their belief. Do you ever see patients, do you ever see patients that you think live longer? Does, does your mindset have anything to do with it? No. <laughs> no. No. Usually, the patient is is, is 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 depressed not only because of the disease of cancer, because the the story of lung cancer in all over the world is is is, is bad story, and it is related to our patients, unfortunately. Okay. Okay. But the doctor, the main, the main doctor's job is to is to put the patient on the right track and to give him hope, not a false hope. Right, not a false hope, but just it, it must be a very hard job speaking to people. Yes, but it's you have very to... hard. Yeah. What's <laughs> how do most people react when they're going through this? No, they react uh, because if you have a patient and you have a good drug, you are inducing, uh, you are moving toward alleviating his symptoms and alleviate to alleviate symptoms is. Uh, but to put you, you need X, Y, and that, and you survive for six months. This is very hard to say this. This is not true. But the patient usually is happy with his doctor when his symptoms has been alleviated with immunotherapy or even with target therapy. Okay. Target therapy is better if, if, if positive, if positive, because it is or a drug uh, at home, no no significant or life-threatening side effects, and they they got uh, a rapid onset of response, so the patient has been alleviated. And at that time, you can give him more and more hope. Okay. And much different than chemotherapy. What if, what about other things that don't have to do with medicine? Do you ever alternate? I know you know a lot of people have criticized alternative or complementary therapy, but is there anything you recommend to patients for the way they eat or the, what they do? 
at least at least to stop uh, smoking or to stop continuing smoking at least because if you if you know that if the patient is still a smoker and you are giving chemotherapy especially of uh, platinum salt you have to modify your dose of platinum four times so are inducing toxicity they can eat everything they can move around anyway they, they live and they have patients living surviving and doing their work perfectly those on oral uh, target therapy and those on oral or on uh, iv not chemotherapy, IV immunotherapy. Okay, well, that's really helpful. Um, thank you so much for thank you. all this. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. This podcast was made possible through a Live Healthy partnership with Pfizer.